Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me for episode number 40 of the High Income Business Writing Podcast. My name is Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to take their writing businesses to the six-figure level or the part-time equivalent. As a quick reminder, you can find detailed show notes for this episode by going to b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 40, the number 40. I am really excited about the show for today because even though this is not as nuts and bolts as we usually get in this podcast, we're going to be talking about a topic that's extremely important. And I want to set the stage for you. Freelancing is is absolutely booming. I mean, all the, the numbers point to um, really the fact that the last time we, we saw this many people out on their own was pretty much pre-industrial era, right? Before there was a traditional employment model back in the day when everyone was selling their own goods and services. You know, everyone was self-employed. It was a very different economic model. Now, we've now starting to enter kind of that that stage again where more and more people are basically their own business, their own personal brand. And as a result, the competition has never been fiercer. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that in in I won't argue that point. However, while tens of thousands of independent professionals are out there fighting over $5 gigs, one thing is very clear, and that's the fact that many freelance professionals are thriving in this economy. And, you know, we could spend a lot of time dissecting what's going on here and, and really doing some thorough analysis, the reasons for their success vary. But most of these solo professionals have one thing in common, and that's that they've really learned how to position themselves differently. So so here's the thing. Let's talk about it a little differently. If all you do when you're out to talking to prospects, when you're communicating your value on your website um, or at a networking event or whatever, if all you do is talk about your writing, in other words, how great it is, how clear and compelling it is, that sort of thing, you'll do what everyone else is doing. You're going to be focusing on the features of your work. In other words, the product, right? The product you sell. And unfortunately, the product, these features, that's what's being commoditized when the competition is as fierce. So what have you talked about something Else, what have you talked about? Your unique perspective, your experience writing in a certain field, or your background in, let's say, the accounting industry, or your twelve years of bedside nursing, that sort of thing. So that's the kind of thing that's hard to duplicate because you've just added your own DNA to the discussion. You've added your unique story. And my guest for this week's show is Pam Slim. Uh, she is a colleague of mine, someone I deeply respect, and she's also the author of the new book, Body of Work, 
finding the thread that ties your story. And in this discussion, Pam and I are going to expand on this important idea, and she's going to give you some food for thought and some some things to think through and to um, really start analyzing. And maybe these, I think these these are the kind of things that are going to give you a a good blueprint to start thinking about how you're you're communicating yourself, your value, and your work. And I'm telling you, folks, this is the sort of thing that could really turn your business around. There's, We could talk all day long about prospecting strategies and tactics, all that sort of good stuff. Very, very important, no doubt. But it all starts by how you position yourself and how you message that. So anyway, let's get right to the interview, and I'll come back at the end to tie things together. Enjoy. Hey, Pam. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ed. Yeah, it's it's great to have you. It's always so much fun to talk to you. And you know, for for people who really don't know much about you, and I, I guess I've I've really known about you for about four years now um, because my book came out maybe a year after your first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation. And I was really intrigued by by your message. And you know, we're speaking in in a lot of ways to the same audience, right? People who are trying to leave corporate America to go out on their own and do their own thing. So um, what you had to say there really resonated with me, and I've, I've loved your message ever since. Well, likewise, I'm really glad to have you in, you know, in the space and specifically talking to folks who are wanting to do freelance careers. It's the wave of the future. It really <laughs> is. It really is. All right. So tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, your, your, your background and, and how you got here. Where did you come from? Yeah, so I... My last real job was uh, about 17 years ago. I worked for Barclays Global Investors, which is a financial services firm. And I was the director of training and development. So I was always involved in training and development, really looking at the the human side of business and always interested in that. I went on my own in 1996 and spent the first 10 years of my my consulting practice really just being a a freelance consultant where I work with all kinds of different companies starting mainly in Silicon Valley because I'm I'm from the Bay Area originally and uh, worked on you know some larger projects with with groups of other consultants but really I just uh, spent a lot of time building different programs and doing change management and executive coaching and uh, really enjoying myself, but having large corporations that were my clients. And then eight years ago is when I, first of all, knew that I wanted to move to Arizona because I fell in love with my husband and we wanted to start a family and I didn't want to be on the road all the time. And I also was hearing all of these whispers that were adding up over the years of people in corporate jobs who were saying, how do you do this? You know, like, how do you, how did you actually make the leap yourself? And so that got me interested in really just at first starting a basic coaching practice to help people. Cause I've been a coach for a long time, but just specializing <clears throat> in helping people to start a business. And uh, one of the ways that I wanted to market it was to start a blog, which was escape from cubicle nation. So started doing that, the uh, begin to work with a lot more clients and the blog got more popular. The blog turned into a book and then it's really expanded and grown into working in a lot of different ways, creating education program for entrepreneurs and now leading in some ways full circle back to my new book, which is allowing me to look at the big picture of the world of work, which has always been a fascinating thing for me. 
Well, so, so let's just talk about that. Body of Work, your latest book just came out. Um, tell us a little bit about the premise of the book and how you got the idea for, for creating this work. Where did that come from? The, the premise of the book is that the purpose of our lives is to create a body of work that we're very proud of, that represents what we value, what we believe in, that solves problems that we care about solving, and that really means that we're, we're living the kind of life and creating the kind of relationships that are relevant. So it, sometimes when we, when we think traditionally about body of work, it might be for an artist or a writer where we're only looking at the physical things like software code or books or, you know, and, and that's definitely part of it, the, the creative things that you're actually making. For a lot of your audience, for freelancers, it's all the projects that you do, right? Like mm-hmm. all of the different projects you have as a graphic designer or writer or whatever um, are, are all part of the body of work that you create with and, and through your clients. But I think the bigger picture is, is if you're really conscious about it and you define the things that are very important to you, including the quality of your life, including, you know, how it is that you define success for some people. And, and we might talk about this, you know, especially in the freelance world. Some people will say that the only way you're a real entrepreneur is if you scale your business and take on employees and grow. And there are other people, especially in the freelance arena, who might say, you know what, the quality of my life is the most important thing. I want to care about what I'm doing. I want to have limited <clears throat> engagements with really key clients. And um, it doesn't have to be really huge. So that's, you know, that that's really the premise of it. And one of the things that drove me to want to write the book is in eight solid years of working with hundreds of people, hundreds of clients and helping to start up many businesses and talking specifically about leaving corporate to start a business, I felt like I was beginning to see this religion almost of uh, light and dark side of the force that working for yourself is the only way to be free and the only good thing and, and working for the man or working for corporate is terrible. Uh, and I don't believe that to be true. I think that's too simplistic. I think that if we get obsessed on just the work modes, we miss really what can be useful for individuals, which is choosing the kind of work situations that allow you to create your best work and also give you the kind of life that you want. So sometimes at different stages of your life, you might want different things, right? You might love freelancing for a while, and then maybe you go through another stage of life and you actually totally enjoy having colleagues, having full benefits, you know, having a predictable paycheck. There's nothing inherently good or bad about a work mode. And that's, I've started to get annoyed, frankly, at some of the, you know, the rhetoric that we have that would just really simplify it. So it and was kind of condescending, right? Oh, you know, only people who work for themselves are the good people and those that don't are not. And I just, I don't think that's useful because I care more about our overall ecosystem as as a community, as a you know our local communities, and then our national community, and really our global community. That is so true, and and I got to tell you, it's um, a lot of what I publish. I think a lot of people get the impression that you know there is a dark side and a light side, um, but I think that's a result of just you know promoting success as a freelance professional, and people might deduce that well, that's the only way to go. But, you know, my view is that very much like yours, we're living in a kind of a patchwork quilt gig economy, if you will, where I think professionals are having to string together a wide range of experiences and skills and aptitudes and projects. 
Um, and that might involve, you know, it's sometimes really the best thing for you is tr- a traditional employment gig, right? You know, for a certain period of time. And then you have to turn that around and then maybe switch back. And I, I think a lot of people feel like they failed if they have to go back to corporate or a traditional job temporarily. And I think it's Exactly. Yeah, I know. And, and I, I run into a lot of people like that. And, and that was really getting in the way of just helping them to garner the resources they needed or, or get, gain the skills or the experience or the confidence or whatever it was that was that was lacking. I mean, there are some people who definitely know in the long term that they want to work for themselves, but the timing can be off, right? Or they might realize that they need to go back and maybe get some other skills or uh, save up some more money or, you know, a whole host of different things. And so, yeah, having this distinction I found was not helpful. And for goodness sakes, I mean, as the person known as the escape from cubicle nation lady, you know, that's, I'm, I'm like you, I've never said anything disparaging about corporate life. I think all work is honorable. I really enjoyed the work that I did when I was consulting and I enjoyed the work as, as an employee. It's, it's more, uh, what is the right fit for a given person? And certainly I know some people, um, myself included, where, you know, at this point in my life, I really would not be interested at all in working for somebody else. I know that working for myself is, is a very best way that, that I like to make things happen. But if we can just, yeah, get, get rid of the, you know, the good and bad and, uh, and just again focus on what are people what are they excited about creating then then that's that's where things get juicy and more opportunities open up so so let let me maybe talk a little bit more about that and then we can move into uh, some questions about people who are already out there and they've decided this is where they want to stay meaning self-employed uh, entrepreneur so um, in terms of people who are really on the fence because uh, I, I do talk to a lot of people who they're not happy when they're in a traditional job, but then they really struggle with making that transition. I mean, what would you tell someone who's not really sure? You know, all this sounds great, but they're having this chicken and egg scenario where they, they can't make one work with, with the other one happening and vice versa. Well, you have a couple options, and this is what I've seen with clients is, uh, on one hand, I get like old school grizzled martial artist, <laughs> which is which is sometimes to say, yeah, it's it's a lot of work. And, and part of what you want to do to test yourself and to, to push through it is to is to figure it out and push through it. For some people, that is doing it, doing the work as a side hustle really making sure that they're building up slowly some kind of a clientele to demonstrate that they're able to, you know, get projects and and then build up their marketing system so they can get more referrals until they're ready to quit. Or if people feel, and I understand this, that it's just very hard to do both things at the same time, that's where they may need to really double down, really reduce expenses, sometimes make some radical choices, which can be really positive to reduce the cost of living. I know a lot of people who have moved from places like New York or San Francisco to much more reasonable places to live where they reduce the cost of living so that they can bank up some money while they do have a full-time job in order then to have the time, and I call it being your own venture capitalist in order to develop your freelance business. Because I do understand that for some people, it really is hard to do both at the same time. But the, the part that that is really difficult is if you look at, uh, depending upon how many years that you've been in your career, usually when you're paid well as a, a you know, a full-time professional, uh, especially in a corporate setting, you're, you've worked for many years. You've developed your craft. You know, people really know you. They know your work. 
And working for yourself is a whole different ball game, and it often takes a lot of work to get your business foundation set up and your marketing systems and beginning to make connections. So it puts a lot of pressure on you if you have the expectation, for example, that you're just going to quit your job and you give yourself one month, right? If you haven't been doing anything as a side hustle, if you just start you know, cold turkey, and then you expect within a month's period of time that you're going to be making the same amount of income that you made when, when you were an employee, now, ironically, that's what happened to me. I was making more <laughs> than, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than I ever made uh, from the be- very beginning. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was totally undercharging. And still, I, was ma- I made more from day one as, as a consultant as I made as an employee. Now, a lot of it, I think, was because of the nature of what my skill set was. It was uh, very... A lucrative kind of profession of you know doing training and development, executive coaching, and change management. It was a time in 1996 in Silicon Valley where there was tremendous growth, and so there were just opportunities everywhere. Silicon Valley itself is a you know is a place where everybody knows each other, and I got tons of referrals from one business to the next as it went. So it's definitely possible. But I never, in fact, for most clients, I never even use my experience. I I jump without a plan, without doing any side hustle, without even considering that I was going to work for myself and it worked out. But, you know, I also have a huge tolerance for risk. And, uh, you know, I had a a very marketable skill at that time in in a strong economy. Uh, So, uh, so, you know, I I think that's, it's the... um, the classic dip, as Seth Godin would say, if any of you have read that book. If you haven't read that book and you feel like you're in that stuck place, it's really good. It's just a a real short uh, book, but it helps to kind of describe that period for anything that we're trying to do in life when you're you're halfway between things and it can feel very frustrating. And I I think either you you make a decision where you put a finite period of time uh, for yourself where you say, okay, this is my goal. I, I need to book four more projects in the next six months, you know, where I'm, I'm working full time for myself. And that's where you can really go after it and push hard to see if it happens. And if it doesn't, nobody, I think, really likes to be long term in the in the side hustle model. It, it really starts to to grate on you if you're just constantly working, <laughs> especially if you have a family or you like to sleep and have other hobbies and things like that. Oh, my gosh, I did it for a little over two years and um, I, I was reaching burnout quickly you know, by, by the very end. But I, I saw the, I saw the end. Um, I was, my, my company was about to get acquired. I knew about it and I just had to hold off until it happened. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you, it was painful. It was painful. It's right. It's, it's very hard. And I, I have great admiration for, for anybody who does it because it does really require a lot of discipline and, and sacrifice. It really does. It, you know, it takes up a lot of your time. My, it's funny, in, in corporate life, my side hustle was as a volunteer executive director for a nonprofit martial arts organization that I ran for 10 years. And I didn't even know what a side hustle was, right? That was like almost pre-internet. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so I had, you know, I'd work during the day in my corporate job and then I would leave and go to take classes or teach classes. And the weekends I was, you know, recruiting students and writing grants and doing all the administration. So, but that was in my 20s, and, and it, it can be very invigorating. But it, interestingly, it's when I turned 30, I think after 10 years of doing that, I really, really burned out. I actually got pneumonia, and that was a big epiphany for me where I was like, I can't, I can't continue to do, to do that. And it, 
and pretty much after that point, I have never been able to work so hard again. It's like some <laughs> something snapped inside where I just can't push myself to work that hard. Well, sometimes it's those, yeah, those signs that really uh, we need to pay attention because it's it's a that's the real sign that we need to kind of slow down and, and take a look at what we're doing and why we're doing it and maybe recalibrate. So um, I, I hear you. I hear you. So uh, one of the things that, that I, I come across quite a bit are people who are looking, um, they've been preparing to go out on their own and they're, they're strictly focused on the mechanics of what they do, right? The features of what they offer. Uh, the challenge is that there is a sea of writers already out there, a sea of designers, a sea of software developers. And, and I'm curious what your take is on taking a look at your body of work, right, over the past 10, 20 years, even if it's not directly related to what you're, the craft that you're now looking to, uh, to put out there. Uh, what's the process or what would you encourage people to do when they're going to market um, to, to look beyond just the core skills of, of writing, design, software development, and so forth? Yeah, it's it's immediately the thing where if you don't define it, both from a branding perspective of differentiating yourself from a lot of other people, but also from a value perspective, if you're unable to show how you really bring something unique, that it, it's going to be much harder to be to be getting seen and, and getting hired. I I come from a perspective that there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, and as I, I was saying before, a lot of the studies that they're doing of the economy are saying that uh, you know freelancing is only going to be increasing as a lot of the the long term permanent jobs are going away and we're going to different models. So there is a lot of opportunity, but there are two pieces to it. One of them is I think it feels better and it will be more clear for you as a business owner when you're starting to really take some time to identify who you are, what's really important to you, what are the parts of your work that you really enjoy, why are you passionate about software development or graphic design or photography or writing, what what are the components of that that are really interesting to you and where it starts to move into a specific parts for your marketing foundation are who who are the kinds of people who you really want to serve? What are the kinds of problems that you really want to solve? The, the areas that, that you're really interested in, in and, and passionate about. And when you really make those links directly between everything about who you are, I call them your ingredients, all your different skills and experience and uh, competencies and, and scars as well. Some really difficult challenges that you've had. People have had uh, you know, really tough childhoods or they've had financial meltdowns or, you know, mental illness and a whole range of things that we as humans experience. And often we don't look directly at these experiences to see how they can, uh, but when we look at them in a certain way, they, they can really help to differentiate who we are and, and the kind of grit that we have and, and what we've developed. So when you do that and you really take into account all of these different pieces, that really becomes a foundation first for you choosing what is that kind of work that you want to go after. And I'm sure you and I probably say many, many times a day as we're talking to people about starting a business is you really need to define the characteristics of who are your ideal clients, right? Who are your ideal client avatars? What's that kind of work that you might want to start with? It may not be something that you you do forever, but how can you get your foot in the door so that you say that, 
you know, I write for nonprofit organizations, you know, that are mid-sized, that are focused on uh, global warming or, you know, whatever it may be, right? As you begin to define the particular kind of work that you do, that's often a good foundation to really get started. So those, those are the first pieces that you want to look at. And I think when you are looking at your, at your work holistically, those elements are also going to be part of what you use to tell your individual story. I, I may be unique because I'm such a people person, but let me tell you, when I'm looking to hire somebody, I actually have a perfect example. I was, uh, had somebody here locally, I was looking to do a short-term project around my book launch, and I needed just some added muscle on, uh, for somebody to do writing and some social media work for the launch. And so I went on Facebook and asked if anybody knew somebody, and uh, somebody just uh, commented on, on the thread, and she was local. And so I Googled her name, and one of the first things that came up was, I, uh, social media stole my kidney. And it was this really cool uh, story about how she had met somebody on Twitter whose mom had been really ill, and this woman, Amy, ended up donating her kidney to this this friend's mom, you know, through Twitter. And she's hilarious. Yeah, it was amazing. It's just this amazing story. And now she's become this huge advocate for organ donation. She's hysterical. She's a stand-up comedian. She's also, you know, great with social media. But let me tell you, it was so interesting to, to hear those hear about those parts of her where for me being a people person yes I care about her skills of course but learning more about her overall story was actually a big part of what made me pick up the phone and and hire her to do a project and I think that uh, that's one thing that we can't forget you always need to follow through and be a master of your craft I mean that's just a, a core foundation of what it is that you need to be successful in your business you have to be committed to delivering excellent service and being the very best that you can be. But part of what I think makes you interesting is where you do share parts of your story. So a lot of those things you can get from, I mean, look at some of her ingredients, stand-up comedian, (laughs) social media junkie, willing organ donor to a stranger. I mean, it's just like, wow, it's just, it's a really great story. Yeah. Why don't we share that stuff? I mean, why are people reluctant to do that and they keep using kind of the other feature-like ingredients as a crutch? Because it, it makes you vulnerable. I think everybody has a different scale of comfort with how much personal information to share. And certainly for her, she's a very out there person, hysterical, no holds barred, you know, shares everything on social media. That's one extreme. Somebody who's very extroverted. I think for folks that may not come from uh, that particular orientation or, or communication style, they, they don't feel as comfortable. But I also think it's the way that we're socialized and a lot of how we're taught, especially groomed within corporate environments where it's really not appropriate to be sharing a lot of results, you know, of a lot of personal um, personal, you know, characteristics or, or things about yourself because it can make people feel uncomfortable and you have to be careful a little bit, you know, in terms of uh, laws and rules and everything in organizations, you know, it's it's changing a little bit maybe because everybody is sharing so much on social media. But I think what you want to think about for each individual as crafting your story, how it, and this may be especially um, more applicable to folks who are writers, but everybody has to be telling the story of their brand is, you know, how can you bring out the components of yourself that are going to connect you with who your ideal clients are? She probably would have completely freaked out somebody who 
didn't have a sense of humor, right? Humor is a huge value for me. (laughs) I love, you know, crazy stories. I'm a huge humanitarian and I love people who help others. So that resonated, but, and that totally drew me to her at the same, in the same light, it probably would have absolutely pushed somebody else away from her. And it was Guy Kawasaki, you told me that once, polarity is good. You, You want to have people either really be connected to your message or really not, and often that's where you want to be using, you know, some of these some of these ingredients. But uh, it takes a little while to get used to putting a little bit more life and and humor and interesting detail. Uh, I just I, I want to get clear. I've done a lot of work now uh, with folks who are introverts. I've been doing some work with Susan Cain, uh, the author of Quiet, and and have really tuned into. There's no one formula. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, in order to be successful, everybody has to be sharing every bit of yourself uh, on social media. But I would say, as somebody who cares about story and branding, you do want to use enough elements to really connect with your audience and to be unique and compelling. I I couldn't agree more, Pam. You know, the way I see it, I think in a way we've kind of reached parity. Uh, at the craft level. In other words, I think you have to be good enough, right? You have to be at the certain level of skill in your craft uh, or you're just not going to make it, period. But beyond that point, it's really your story that's going to differentiate you, right? I mean, there's there's just nothing else there. That's, so. that's it. Yeah, it's, it's, the big, it's the big skill. It's, it's really the, uh, the meta skill, if you will, I think, of the, of the 21st century. Any, anybody in any profession, I think, really needs to have the, have, have the gift of, of crafting good stories. If you want to raise money, if you're in, in academia, if you want to you know, have a Kickstarter project, if you want to get clients, if you want to go forward in your career, everything is really about telling a good story. So true. So true. So, you know, just to kind of maybe wrap up here, um, let's talk a little bit more about the book. Um, so w- what's your intention for the book? Because I know you really put yourself out there. This is a great piece of work. And as I told you before we started recording, it's on order. I haven't read it yet. I'm dying to get it. Um, <laughs> but w- what would you like for this book to do? Um, what I would really love for the book to do is to first excite all of us uh, to to really care about our craft to to have really for my intention for the reader is that you know thinking about some of the freelancers who might be listening to this interview that you you really think about like what do I actually want to create what's going to make me feel really excited and proud to have created. Um, what do I want my legacy to be? Uh, taking the opportunity to really step back and look at the big picture of your life and to see what it is that you need to get done. But then what I've done in the book is to really lay out what are the actual skills that you can develop in order to get you there. I think there are some of the skills that we all need in, in learning how to collaborate and connect with others in a really meaningful, natural, authentic way. Um, how is it that we can get really good at you know the craft of telling stories? How can we get very comfortable with uncertainty, as our mutual friend Jonathan Fields talks about? Right, I, I call oh, yeah. it surfing the surfing the fear is a whole chapter because being comfortable with the uncertainty that comes from working with yourself and juggling you know projects and dealing with difficult clients and everything that 
that comes with being a creative person, I think it's something that's really a necessary skill. But in, in a big picture, Escape from Cubicle Nation definitely is a book that was very focused on people who were just wanting to make the transition from corporate to starting a business. For this book, I'm hoping that it also increases the kind of communication that we have in people of all different work modes and uh, gets us excited about you know sharing our work with others, not having such strong walls between like I said, the good and dark side of the, the light and dark side of the force, that, that we begin to get excited about how we're actually all connected and contributing within our communities. And uh, I look at some of the things that we do here in Phoenix, where we have a very active co-working community. It's so amazing to me about sometimes the volunteer projects we put together. We have a laid off camp, Phoenix, that we've done about six times where everybody from startups to freelancers to you know people working in corporate jobs get together volunteer to just put on a great conference for people who are looking for work local restaurants donate food that you know chamber of commerce and local government gets involved in donating space and i think a lot of this kind of collaboration that we can see is going to be restarting the economic engine that we all need and within our communities and as i said within our nation but also just in the interconnected global world. I know that you work, Ed, with a lot of folks from all over the world. And when we really get things humming, then we have projects where we can hire developers from Estonia and, you know, India and China and and begin to work, you know, with folks all over the world. And that's just going to really get us moving in a good direction for the global economy. So it's kind of a big audacious, audacious goal. But I really do want to get the conversation shifted a little bit from, you know, everything is bad, things aren't the way that it used to be, uh, to what can we do about it? You know, okay, things aren't the way they used to be. They're not ever going to be again. So if instability is the new norm, then let's start working actively together in order to make things different. Oh, that that's fantastic. I couldn't agree with you more. I, it, we have to at one point stop complaining <laughs> and just accept the fact that this is the new normal. And I agree with you, by the way, that I, I think this will be the way things are. I, I think the the real great thing that has come out of this over the last six years is that we've all been forced to become more entrepreneurial and more resourceful, right? Yeah. And that is not a bad thing. I think we could all use that. I think most of us just got to a point where it was just too easy. Um, and as much pain as this economy has created, there's no doubt that it has. In a way, there, there's, a, there's a light side to this and, and a bright side that um, we can all learn from. And, and I think we have an opportunity to grow here. So um, I think this book couldn't have come at a better time and, and you know, I, I commend you for, for putting yourself out there and writing it. So I appreciate it so much. I'm, I'm really excited. I think we do have so much opportunity. And I am with you. Like, we don't need to complain anymore. We need to work together. <laughs> and let's get some stuff done. You know, we have some tools that our ancestors would be amazed at, right? Like, let's, let's use the stuff that we have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pam, where can listeners learn more about the book. Do you have a website dedicated for the book, correct? I do. It's at PamelaSlim.com slash body of work. So that's where you can find it at, at PamelaSlim.com. I've been forever at 
escapefromcubiclenation.com. So feel free to find me there. Eventually this year, I'll be kind of gravitating my online presence more to PamelaSlim.com. But you know how it happens where you're kind of doing one stage at a time? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Write the book, get it out there. And, uh, you know, escape is still going to be a big part of what I do. But I'm, I'm also uh, trying to take my own medicine and really consolidate, you know, retell the story about what it is that I'm doing now. So fantastic again pam thanks so much for coming on uh congrats on the book launch and uh we'll be talking again soon sounds great i appreciate it all right folks i hope you enjoyed that interview with pam you know she's an awesome lady and since the interview i've had a chance to go through her book body of work in a little bit more detail and uh, i tell you what i'm really impressed i highly recommend the book i think you're gonna get a lot out of it there's um is definitely philosophical, but plenty of nuts and bolts there, plenty of examples and stories that I think you'll profit from. So check it out. And of course, her book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, is also fantastic. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be grateful if you shared it with friends. And the easiest way to do that is just to use any of the social media sharing buttons you'll find on the show notes page. And that page is b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 40, the number 40. You can also go to b2blauncher.com forward slash love. And that pre-populates a tweet for you. It's an easy way to share the content. And also, if you're getting a lot of value from the show, it would mean a ton to me if you'd be willing to leave me a quick rating or review in iTunes. And uh, I got a quick link for you there that takes you directly to that page, b2blauncher.com forward slash iTunes. So that brings us to the end of the episode. My name is Ed Gandia. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an awesome day. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.